here. This is not about politics. This is about morality. Health emergencies can't wait for us to have some theoretical debate about some better idea that will never, ever come to pass. We are behind every country pretty nearly in Europe in this matter of medical care for our citizens. I'm a physician. That means you have a right to come to my house and conscript me. It means you believe in slavery. I am Benjamin Day. And I'm Stephanie Nakajima. And this is Medicare for All, the podcast for everybody who needs health care. Except for the 125 DNC delegates who voted against including support for Medicare for All in the Democratic Party platform in 2020. Oh, man, I'm having flashbacks to 2016, Stephanie. I feel like this happened just uh, four years ago. It is Groundhog um, Day. But I feel like the vote wasn't actually that bad four years ago. How can we go <laughs> be going the opposite direction? Like, what happened here? <laughs> that is a great question. Um, well, it seems like uh, what happened was there was a unity task force uh, that met between the Sanders campaign and the Biden campaign. Um, to sort of come up with uh, a platform that was gonna be palatable to both of them. Um, and the Sanders campaign agreed uh, to, to not actually try to push Medicare for all, explicit support for Medicare for all in the party platform. So they sort of, they sort of lost by surrender. <laughs> um, and that's why actually, that was partially why I think the number was so low. The, of course, the other reason is that this time around in 2020, Bernie Sanders just had fewer delegates. Um, there were all those canceled primaries. And of course, he dropped out a little bit mm -hmm. early, <clears throat> maybe earlier than he should have. Um, but that was also another reason was that the delegate presence, it wasn't quite as equal as it had been during Clinton, um, the fight with Clinton in 2016. So. Yeah, you know, I'd really hoped during the Democratic debates when all these claims were being made about, you know, by Pete Buttigieg and Biden and Klobuchar about how we don't need a universal health care system. We can just get by with, like, letting you purchase equally expensive public insurance plans, like a public option, <laughs> or we'll tinker around the edges. I mean, when coronavirus struck, all of these uh sort of halfway measures just seemed the inadequacy was so brutally exposed i mean you just cannot have a system where health insurance is linked to to the workplace and not have it fall apart during a pandemic or any crisis really so i had kind of hoped that we would start seeing the democratic uh, sort of mainstream shifting a bit on this issue i mean i don't care if they're moving towards bernie i don't think of it as like a left-right issue but just like moving towards patients who actually need your support during this crisis. <laughs> but it seems like they've dug in their heels instead. They are committed to losing. Um, they're trying their very best to get to the edge, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know why it would be, you know, as Michael Leidy said, controversial to put Medicare for all on the platform when, you know, he said, yeah, 86% of Democrats, 86% of their base actually supports Medicare for all, but it's not only their base they're trying to reach, especially this time around against Trump, a majority of Americans of all political stripes actually support Medicare for all. So um, it is unclear uh, who they're trying to appease by, by not including it. All right. Well, definitely screw those 125 delegates. But uh, <laughs> we should explain that uh, the convention is, you, we think of it as like, you know, 
uh, all these delegates come and they're debating and they're deciding what to do. But in fact, the campaigns tell them exactly how to vote. So the Biden campaign told all the Biden delegates to vote against this. Um, actually, I don't know how it happened this time because it was a virtual meeting. But in 2016, there was a meeting in the room and there was actually Clinton delegates who got up to the mic, advocated for Medicare for all. But then when the vote came, the Clinton whips stand in the corner and tell all their delegates how to vote on every issue. And so they all were in the corner putting their thumbs down. And the same people who had spoken and testified for Medicare for all actually voted against it. So it's all highly scripted. And um, what my understanding is, is that Bernie has decided the Bernie campaign has decided really not to have a, a knockdown drag out fight in this convention. Um, they took some heat in 2016 for potentially, you know, undermining the Clinton campaign, although I think they did a pretty good job themselves of doing that. Um, mm -hmm. So they're they've agreed not to sort of fight on every issue at the convention. So probably uh, the folks who voted for Medicare for all this time were even voting against the Bernie campaign, even though they're they're Bernie delegates. So uh, that's real bravery. I would like to applaud the handful of people who who <laughs> bucked all of the campaigns and actually voted their conscience on this one. <laughs> and Medicare for all wasn't even the only amendment that was struck down so badly. Uh, even lesser reforms, for example, uh, there was an amendment to support an expansion of Medicare to people 55 and older. So between 55 and 65, that's actually a, an age range where a lot of people will sort of fall out of employment and really need health insurance. Um, and that was also <laughs> downvoted 124 versus 36. So <laughs> only one popped over to the um, to the the plus side for that. Um, and then the other one that was rejected was um, federal help to states that want to introduce a single payer system. So if a state wants to sort of pave the way as it had happened in Canada uh, to institute a state single payer system, uh, getting like a federal help or federal waiver, um, just supporting that sort of reform was also uh, downvoted uh, even more badly, 131 to, to 36. So um, they weren't just whipped on Medicare for all, but anything that would threaten, I think, the for-profit health insurance right. industry. And the ultimate irony here is that Trump used to be a Medicare for all supporter <laughs> up until recent years. Uh, um, we have this weird like, yeah, it's just a it's like every four years, my hope of having a just healthcare system is just shattered. Um, <laughs> and it's not just the presidential elections. It's also the congressional elections. But I have noticed there have been some really exciting and surprising congressional victories, like primary victories of Medicare for all candidates. Um, beating incumbents who are have been opposed to Medicare for all. So I think next podcast, we should at least talk a little bit about the exciting progress we might make in, in Congress next year. So yeah, I don't want it to be all gloom and doom. Well, we have a guest today, a very exciting guest. Um, so uh, we have with us and we want to talk about the sort of we decided, you know, this is going to be um, this podcast is falling on Medicare's 55th anniversary. Speaking of 55 and older, this would be appropriate, right? Medicare's 55th anniversary. Um, and all of the fights we are seeing right now around Medicare for all also actually happened when Medicare was trying to be passed. You know, people said, oh, you're going to have wait times. Oh, it's going to cost too much. You can't afford it. You know, all the bullshit excuse and concern trolling happened uh, back in 1965. Um, but it has become uh, the most popular sort of social program along with Social Security in the country. Um, it is unthinkable even for Republicans to repeal it or to throw seniors back onto having to buy their own private insurance. 
Um, and so we wanted to kind of, for this year, which I, coronavirus has really defined this year, especially for the healthcare system, um, focus on um, the folks who have, who have had to deal with symptoms of COVID-19 and how that interacts with our healthcare system. Um, so we have with us Chelsea, Chelsea Alinar, am I pronouncing your na last name right? Uh, Aliona. Aliona, thank you. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. Um, and Chelsea, you um, have been kind of a leader among folks who have had long-term symptoms of COVID-19. Um, the term has been, uh, the term long hauler gets used. Can you uh, first explain what a long hauler is and then we can sort of talk a little bit about your experience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one of my partners, Amy Watson, actually coined the term long hauler. Uh, it came from a trucker hat actually sitting on her bedside table. Um, but a long hauler is somebody who has been sick with COVID symptoms for at least 30 days. Wow. And what was like, what was the first symptom that you had and um, what were the range of symptoms that you've had since then? Uh, my very first symptom was a headache um, and it was a uh, migraine level lasted for a full six days, uh, followed by a non-productive cough and a low grade fever. Um, and COVID has ravaged every body system uh, that we have. Um, I've had a number of rashes. I've had, um, uh, it's impacted my nerves. Uh, my sense of smell and taste is still not back. Um, I'm deaf 100% in my left ear and I have minimal hearing in my right. Um, wow. I've got tachycardia, chest pain and arrhythmia, uh, shortness of breath. Um, Gosh, um, the, the heart rate thing is really a, a problem. Um, hmm. uh, insomnia is another one, but at the same time, I will just fall asleep at the drop of a dime. Um, so those are really big ones. Uh, blurry vision, um, but the full gamut. I haven't had as much of the GI symptoms as a lot of other folks. Yeah, and is this something you hear from other long haulers too? Is this kind of the range of symptoms? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so just a common cold, huh? Uh, right. <laughs> uh, that makes me want to punch people in the face, actually. Um, <laughs> people that say that it's just like the flu or it's the common cold or, um, you know, it's it's a hoax. Uh, those people, I mean, I engage with them all the time, but it usually just it ends in, in tears out of frustration. Um, and I, I probably shouldn't waste my breath, but I feel like those are the people that need the education the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Trump supporters. Yeah, and it felt like early on, people really thought that this was, you know, mostly a lung-based issue, breathing. Um, but I've just been astonished by how many systems in the body this can ravage, um, and even memory issues for some people, right? Uh, yeah, it has impacted uh, my short-term memory. It's impacted my ability to organize thoughts. Um, I have to write everything down or type it into my phone. Um, uh, I'm a medical auditor by trade, and I, I simply can't do my work. It's too, uh, too tedious. It's too high level of detail. Um, I, can't, I can't organize my thoughts like that. Um, and a lot of us are like that. We can't recall common words that we know. Um, 
we just can't think like in a in a rapid succession like a to z it just doesn't it doesn't things don't come like that now um it's it's almost like we have to play a game of memory like go back to when we're four years old and we're trying to flip the cards over and remember where things go that sounds uh so terrifying to experience You've probably had to receive a, a lot of care during this time from a medical team. Um, how much care have you needed? And have you seen any copays or deductibles for that care? Um, I've had myself 66 doctor's appointments, including hospital care. Wow. Um, That's like two, two, one every two days or three days. I mean, how long have you had symptoms for? That's it's, incredible. It's, it's too many. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> You know, most of those are uh, telehealth visits because providers uh, kind of closed their doors, um, at least mine did, um, and providers weren't available um, to see us in person. Um, uh, most of those visits that I that were face-to-face -face had to be urgent care um, because providers weren't available for months um, to see us in person. Um, uh, for any imaging, um, I had to pay a hundred dollar copay, which I think is pretty standard for my insurance. Um, I don't know if I had any copays. Um, if I did, it, they were probably minuscule, maybe like five five dollars, if that. I think anything COVID related, a, a copay wasn't involved in telehealth. I know there was no copay, um, but I have mm -hmm. the best insurance in for anybody in the state of Oregon. Um, but I found out I didn't have very good health care um, in general, um, at least in my opinion, hence the 66 visit. Um, yeah, so tell us more about your job because it sounds like your your job actually gives you kind of a window into the healthcare system that we deal with. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I work for um, Oregon Health Authority and I, I do have to put in a little plug that I am in no way speaking on behalf of the authority and none of my opinions reflect those of the authority. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but uh, I audit um, all types of medical providers uh, for Oregon Medicaid. Um, we are the only Medicaid um, system in Oregon. Um, so I, I pour over chart notes all day while I am working. Um, and I talk with providers, so I speak their lingo. I know what I'm looking for. I'm in, I'm in no way a lay person. Um, so I, I know what a provider has to do to bill for certain levels of service. Um, I know what they have to cover in a specific visit. Uh, I know what their rules are for them. I'm, I know when they're supposed to make referrals and when they're, when they're not. Um, and I know, uh, you know, I know what the basic standard of care is. Um, and I would say that providers are not meeting the standard of care, um, or they haven't for me. Um, so, uh, yeah, it sounds like you are about as well equipped as anyone could possibly have been to navigate the healthcare system. Um, but, uh, you know, I, we, I understand that you're sort of part of a, a large support group of long haulers all over the world mm -hmm. and not everyone has the same knowledge of the healthcare system that you have or the good health insurance that you have mm -hmm. or has been able to keep their job and keep their health insurance. I mean, what have you heard from like the long, the broader community of long haulers about, you know, when and when the healthcare system in the U S has potentially let them down? 
Um, well, uh, I think the healthcare system has really let 100% of us down, actually, uh, at least 99%. Um, yeah. uh, providers are blatantly dismissing um, COVID patients, regardless of whether we've tested positive or tested negative. Um, I am somebody who has that golden ticket of a positive test, um, but a lot of us have tested negative. Um, but aside from um, providers blatantly dismissing us, um, they're also incessantly gaslighting us and telling us that we're not sick um, and that our symptoms are psychosomatic. Um, and, uh, you know, the combined in the two support groups that I'm involved with, um, which are the long haul COVID fighters, both round one and round two. Um, and you can find us on Facebook. Um, you know, we've got um, seven or 8,000 members cumulative. Um, wow. The bulk of us um, are just being gaslighted incessantly. And, you know, you, you have to question your reality a little bit when you have medical professionals who are over and over again telling you that you're crazy and that you're not sick. Um, but thankfully, um, we have a really good relationship with Mount Sinai and they are uh, who are arguably um, the one of the number you know the number one uh, health system in the U.S. Um, and they have been uh, on our side and um, conducting clinical trials and communicating with us. So uh, and they are telling us we are not crazy and um, our symptoms are real. So uh, you said that having a positive test was kind of a golden ticket. Yeah. Um, what about for, I mean, what has been your experience with people who say that they have COVID, but haven't been able to get a test or, you know, the phenomenon of negative testing? Yeah. Um, so thank you for bringing that up. Um, so negative testing, um, there's a 20% error rate. Um, and that was discovered by the annals of uh, internal medicine. Um, so the 20% error rate comes in at days eight and nine of the, of the infection. Um, if you're tested prior to days eight and nine, that infection rate goes up exponentially. So 30% or higher. If you're tested after days, uh, so days 10 and above, again, that, that uh, negative um, error rate goes up even higher. So for instance, if you were to be tested for COVID on day 21, you're looking at a 66% false negative error rate. Um, and the odds of you testing three times in a row uh, negative falsely are one in three. Um, those people that are getting false negatives but have COVID symptoms are not getting any federal protections. They're not getting paid time off through their employer. They have zero protection. So um, you know they're having to file for unemployment um, losing their, losing their jobs, their livelihoods are at stake. Um, and you know, in, in just about every state unemployment is a bear right now and people are waiting months and months and months. I can tell you in Oregon, there are still people that filed in February that haven't been paid. That's extraordinary. I mean, until you mentioned it, I, I was not aware that false, that, you know, false tests were so common mm -hmm. and I had never thought through just the devastating impacts of of having symptoms, needing care, needing really support, but not having that positive test that gives you access to all those things. And I think it really shows, you know, if we had a Medicare for All system, you wouldn't need a positive test to get 
care for your symptoms, right? You would just get it. But so many people are either uninsured or they have such high deductibles and copays that they need the positive test just to get the free care that, you know, that that's, was kind of the patchwork approach to yeah. Um, this has been both Republican and Democrat approaches that we'll just we'll provide universal health care just for people with COVID-19. Um, mm -hmm. But then you have this whole gatekeeping system about who gets into those benefits and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like a lot of people who very clearly have COVID-19 are being left out of all of that 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 support that was supposed to be there for them. Yes. Yeah. I think and even compounding that issue of if you're even lucky enough to get a positive test, is who is able to get a test at all. Um, so right now I'm in Denmark and, um, you know, testing here is free for everybody who who lives here. And as I found out recently, even if you don't live here and you're just walking down the street, we literally, my husband and I, we were walking um, next to the airport uh, and we were solicited from a tent to get a COVID test. They were like shouting at us. They were like hustling us to come into this tent and, and get a test. And wow. seeing what the test entailed, it was like, you know, somebody was like poking you with this, this really long stick in the back of your throat. I was like trying to back out of it. I was like, I do not want this test. I don't have any <laughs> symptoms, you know? And my husband was like, let's do it, let's do it. And I was like, you know, it's okay. And I talked to the guy and I was like, look, I'm not a Danish citizen. I don't have a CPR card. I don't have the right to get a test. He's like, oh, no, 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 we can test you. And I was like, ah, but no, I have a... I have a, an international number, so you'll have to give me a call on the international number. And he's like, we can call you. And I was like, okay, fine. So there was just like no way I was getting out of this test. And meanwhile, I'm like about to come back to Boston and I'm looking to see how can I get a test in Boston? And it's actually not that straightforward. Like, you know, you have to make an appointment somewhere. And even though I'm, I'm lucky because I do live in the city of Boston where testing is free, regardless of, you know, your documentation or whatever, but get, just getting an appointment, it can be like a week out. And then people are complaining that the results are sometimes taking two weeks to come back. Mm -hmm. And like, what is the use of a COVID test that's you get two weeks later, <laughs> you know, in a week, a week out from when you have symptoms or from when you suspect that you might have COVID. So, I mean, it's just a totally different world. And of course, in the Danish, the Danish, they told me that they would call me in three days to tell me if I had COVID, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, it's, it's crazy. It should be like that. It should be where people are tracking you down. I mean, give me, you know, give me dozens and dozens of COVID tests and let me go around swabbing people. I'm sure I can do it. I'm positive. I can. Uh, you know, I'll throw them in the trunk of my car. Um, but, and it's like that in California. It's, uh, I even heard that it's, it's kind of like that in, in parts of Oregon. Also, I just heard uh, somebody called me yesterday and told me that they were having a hard time getting a test and, uh, and I said, well, you know, Rite Aid has drive-through testing now. You have to swab yourself, though. That I don't know that I could do. Can I? I couldn't. Don't know if I could shove that two inches or three mm, inches in my. Mm. I don't know if I could do that. Uh, but it's it's still a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and where I live in a suburb of Boston, there there is free drive-through testing, but I don't have a car. So I would have to walk through in between cars <laughs> and the exhaust. <laughs> that is such like, a hilariously hmm. American problem. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't have a car to go get my COVID test. Uh, I, I, you know, with America being, um, I mean, we have, we had a plan. We had a, a plan in case of a pandemic or even to prevent a pandemic. Um, you know, we're, we're the leader, we're supposed to be the leader of the free world. How are we even in this position? You know, we have uh, on average 70,000 new cases 
per day. 70,000. That's basically the entire uh, uh, COVID population of Wuhan, China. We're having a Wuhan, China every single effing day. Like, yeah, I feel like we are the the extent of the spread in the United States is comparable only to countries that don't have like functioning governments, you know, like <laughs> countries that have governments that aren't don't actually have the ability to enforce laws and and the resources to implement public policy. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just extraordinary. And a lot of it is just kind of willful ignorance, I think. Um, somehow it's become politicized here. Um, and it is just terrifying. Um, and I kind of wonder, um, we know that a lot of the, the new hotspots these days are in the South. Mm-hmm. Have you heard any stories from other long haulers in the South and like what's going on for, for COVID patients there? Oh, God. Um, people in Florida and Texas are and Arizona are just outraged people in my groups um they are begging they have been writing uh their governors their mayors in georgia also holy cow um they they've been trying to contact um their authority figures in their states um they've been asking uh their the admins of the support groups to reach out um to be the voices a lot of them don't don't necessarily want to speak out on their own though they're not ready to tell their stories or they don't feel like their support groups they're you know they're their own uh, immediate family or maybe a support group because they don't necessarily have the same political beliefs. Um, a lot of them are dealing with, um, you know, like a Republican family that doesn't believe them. Um, I have a very good wow. friend actually who, hmm. um, who, and I hate, I hate the fact that this comes down to political party, but um, you know, she's a Democrat. She um, progressive Democrat. She has been very sick with, COVID. She had a pulmonary embolism even, and her parents don't really believe in COVID. Um, (laughs) uh, And uh, how do you, how do you you not believe in something when your child has been as sick as she's been? Um, So, I I mean, as, as far as stories in the South, people in my groups are just, they're, they're outraged. They want a national mask mandate. Um, and we just keep having the same conversation. Like, why, why are we not following the science? Why, why isn't there some sort of national mandate? Why, why is this a, not a public health issue? Why is this a political issue? Um, why is this not a human issue? Like, what is the problem with just throwing on a, a goddamn mask when you go out and you're in public or at the grocery store or just keep your ass at home? Because either either you're you're doing something to save John down the street, you're doing something for your neighbor, and potentially saving their life or keeping them from getting for, from getting super sick, or the alternative is you're getting them super sick. So why not protect somebody? What's the alternative? I mean, you can be like a superhero with a mask on, or you're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we. I think our country has failed in this in so many different ways, but definitely also the healthcare system. I mean, we have been hearing from a lot of folks who obviously have lost their jobs because of the economic crisis, but then they lose their health insurance with it. And whether yep. they end up with COVID-19 or not, they suddenly have lost all access to healthcare for all their issues. Um, mm-hmm. And we know that the uninsurance rate, which was already very high, is spiking. Um, yeah. So this may be the dumbest question I ask you for this whole podcast, but do you (laughs) 
support Medicare for all? And if so, why do you think it's so important right now, particularly in this moment? Um, I, you know, I didn't support it previously. Um, I got to be really honest about that. Um, and I didn't, I supported aspects of it, uh, I, which was, you know, if you had great insurance and you wanted to keep your insurance, you could keep it. If you didn't have insurance, then I feel like you, you need to have it. You know, like healthcare is a right. Uh, I do feel strongly about that. Um, but uh, I didn't want to lose any coverage that I had. Now, if we're thinking pie in the sky and everybody gets the same coverage and that coverage is awesome, there's no co-pays, there's no deductibles, everybody gets coverage, that's what I want. That's Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am a thousand percent for that and I will fight for that uh, really hard and everybody needs that. Um, you know, I know that, um, I know what our health insurance looks like and I am, there's a huge disparity across the nation Um and I'm, I'm frankly up in arms about it every day. I have a really good friend who, uh, who lives in Kansas and she tells me all about, and she's a, a public servant also. She's told me about her health insurance and I like, I want to tear my hair out. And I'm like, just move to Oregon um, because your health insurance is awful. Um, but she's also considered another privileged person. Um, and I just keep thinking if it is this hard for me as a privileged person, what is it like for the vulnerable people that I serve? And I just, I want to fight so hard for them because they need coverage um, and they need care. Um, so, you know, I, I will be the voice for whomever needs it. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's, that's an amazing story. And also what you've done with the long haulers group is, is really awesome. And I'm so looking forward to hearing um, what y'all do with that. And just to, to sort of recognize like your concern about, you know, losing what you had and having like this really good insurance. I totally understand that. And I think it's, um, I think that there is, you know, a, a big question mark for a lot of people about what would Medicare for all really look like and all of that. And I think what really convinced me was, you know, living in Denmark, my husband is a Dane and I lived in Denmark for three years and the single payer system that we had here, which exactly is, as you described, no deductibles, no co-pays, not even just that, but when my friend had leukemia, she had a taxi come and pick her up and drop her up at the hospital and then take her home for her chemo treatments. And that was also paid for um, by the state because, you know, when you're in chemo, you're, you're very weak, actually, and can't take public transportation and all of that. Um, but anyway, and having that and then losing it, actually, when I came to the U.S., but uh, gaining what was the platinum plan on the Affordable Care Act exchange and finding out that that platinum plan was nowhere near as good as what I had just left in Denmark um, was sort of like, okay, there's really, for me, there's no question anymore that, you know, what, what people would lose in the U.S. would ever be, you know, could ever compare to what a Medicare for all actually looks like in reality in countries like Denmark um, and Taiwan and, and other places with really robust um, health services. So, um, but I do recognize that that's like a huge concern that people have. Um, and so thank you for sharing that honestly, because I, I appreciated that. Um, thank you so much um, for coming on. Uh, I We wish you just the best of luck and we hope that, you know, um, that the doctors and, and the whole healthcare system can finally uh, come to some understanding about this and actually treat people's symptoms, mm-hmm. especially for those who have those lingering long hauler sy- symptoms. So. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much for having me. And um, 
and helping me create more awareness. I'm uh, going to be volunteering a lot of my time with the national uh, strategic meetings and state meetings with uh, Healthcare Now. So um, hopefully you'll be hearing yes. from me or seeing me more often. So good to hear. Fantastic. And if we find out that any of our listeners are not wearing masks, <laughs> Chelsea and Stephanie and I are going to track you down. <laughs> And, and force exclude one you face from the, the Medicare next, for All system. Uh, year. <laughs> so, yeah. I will track thank you, you everyone. Down. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you all next podcast. Happy Medicare's anniversary, everyone. Woo-hoo. We'll talk to you later. Woo-hoo.